Welcome to the Bayesian Conspiracy. I'm Eniash Brodsky. I'm Steven Zuber, and today we have a guest. Hi, I'm Patrick Chapin. Ooh, putting hey, on Patrick. a sexy voice for the audience. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Hello. I'm uh, yeah, a professional magic player, game designer, and uh, uh, writer. And we are having Patrick on with us again because there is more AlphaGo goodness to talk about. For people who have not been with the series from the beginning, episode four, we talked with Patrick about AlphaGo and it's legendary. At this point, I'm so sure we can call it legendary. At, ver- <laughs> oh, yeah. at the very least, historic five-game series of Go against... Uh, God, he wasn't a world champion. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so Lisa Dahl was the 18-time war. Yeah. Lisa Dahl was the world champion. Okay. And the most recent match that... You know, that uh, just took place is against uh, KG, the best Go player in the world. Which, okay. you know, the two of them have been head and shoulders above a lot of other people. So it's a little tricky because one of them being the world champion and one of them being the highest ranked. KG the, is a bit of a prodigy. He's much, much younger than, you know, he's very young for such a... There aren't very many Go players, you know, remotely as good as him. But he's very young. Okay. And... Uh, Definitely uh, humanity's last help with Lisa Dahl going down. <laughs> right. So uh, th- it was very big news, and it was a fan- fascinating and exciting episode. One of the few episodes of our show that I can actually say was exciting to listen to. <laughs> so, uh, Woo! yeah. So uh, go back and listen to that if you'd like to, because we probably are going to reference it a bit. And there's going to be a test after. Yes, huge <laughs> test. But a uh, short version is AlphaGo beat uh, Lisa Dahl 4 to 1 including a move that a lot of people have described as a move that no human could make. It is just an inhuman move that no one really understood, but ended up winning AlphaGo the game. And that was when people really started to realize that this neural net uh, deep learning thing was a very big deal. And recently, by recently I mean, was it last week or two weeks ago? Oh yeah, just a, just a couple weeks ago. Just like, uh, it just finished. It's been going on at the, uh, the Future of Go Summit in China. It's kind of resolved that i mean after master's performance master was AlphaGo's kind of identity during a during a secret test that was halfway between current day and lisa doll from a year ago yeah we should mention oh, yeah. that AlphaGo has been training in the interim yeah it's been thinking a lot about the game actually though this AlphaGo is so they actually ended up blowing up the entire way they went about it like they learned a lot from the original AlphaGo. But by the time AlphaGo adopted its uh, alter ego master briefly, it was uh, actually kind of brand new. It was starting from, yeah, it was starting over because AlphaGo's strategy, it was novel compared to other neural nets because of, uh, like other computer programs because of how much it was making its own strategy. It studied games, but it, it was its own strategy. By the time it was master, it mostly just thought about Go and then developed strategies from playing against itself a lot. Instead of looking at previous games. Instead of just, you know, instead of being trained on all the games that all the humans are playing and so on, like it's learned more and more and more and more from itself. It's just built a lot of its structure. It's a lot of its understanding of the game based on its own just thinking about the game, like playing against itself a very, very large amount of times. 
Well, Master, if I recall the story, no one knew at first that it was AlphaGo, that it was a software program when it was playing on the internet. Because this was all Go uh, that was happening online. Oh, yeah. There's a popular message board where uh, the best Go players in the world could play. And this is the message board. This is absolutely the most elite people could play here. And a mysterious character that nobody knew who it really was, but it was listed as Nine Don, which is like the highest rating anybody can have, called Master showed up. And just started playing some games against other nine, other you know, top players in the world. And you know, at first people didn't think too much of it, but after a while, it goes on this win streak. Masters going on this win streak that was unrivaled, and people started becoming suspicious. And it was also clear from Masters' play that there was a very good chance that Master had to be at the very least computer assisted, if not a computer. But it didn't make sense because it, Master, first of all, Master just plays too fast. Okay. Second of all, Master was making legendary moves multiple times per game, where it's like the kind of move that this would be the greatest move of your year, and you would talk about this, and this would be a whole big thing. It was doing that multiple times per game, and it was like, it became such a thing, all the other best players started just coming in to play against Master, except Lisa Dahl. Aha! That was interesting. But then, uh, so Master just basically 100-0, just beats everybody. There was one match that for a little while actually uh, displayed as a draw, because on the message board, if somebody times out or something, there's certain conditions where if the game hasn't gone on long enough, it just listed as a draw. And one of his opponents was unable to continue. And so uh-huh. temporarily it was a draw, but they later re- you know, redid that one and, uh, and Master won that as well. But uh, after Master was so convincingly strong, it seemed as though, you know, eventually Google reveals, yes, it was actually us all along. <laughs> <laughs> And life goes on, uh, and they from that point they announce a future of Go Summit, and they want to get everybody together and and talk about what's next in Go, and talk about the implications of AlphaGo and other people's programs, because there's a lot of other companies uh, that are starting to make extremely good Go playing programs as well. For instance, China actually has a program now that is so good that it's beating other high level players. Uh, it wasn't. At the space of AlphaGo, but it was, and actually, they did not compete against each other. I think one of the terms, it was really strange. I think the Chinese government had some, the Chinese government and Google have a, they're they're trying to ease back into a, a, a positive relationship with each other. Google left the country after the Chinese government allegedly raided their location there, and and wait, I, I, a number of years ago, Google left China. Yes, because of according to Google, violence by the Chinese government that they were responsible for. I had missed this. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's been a very uneasy situation. They just left everything, got out. You know what? What did the government want from them? Information. They just wanted primarily information about all of the everybody in the country and, you know, everybody's contacts, everybody's connections with everybody else, everybody's every message they've sent. They basically just want all the information about all the Chinese uh, citizens. But in any event, uh, it's been a while and they've talked it out a little bit and they've kind of come to a place of trying to like repair relations and move forward in some way. And in this spot, one of the things, you know, a lot of people ask, like, oh, did you have the Chinese program play against AlphaGo? And it's, no, 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 we don't think, we don't want to have just computers playing against each other. But it is. Wait, but why don't we? Well, I think that would be awesome. Between you and I, it's pretty, yeah. cl- it's pretty clear that uh, it is because of the strength of AlphaGo. Right. But and I mean, in the future, it'd be kind of interesting to see which country can make the best I think it would be extremely AI. interesting. Even if one robot is wiping the floor with another one robot fight (laughs) yeah but in this spot one of the robots is owned by the chinese government who is hosting the event they actually cut the feed after alpha goes first game against kg or during it 
it was massacring KG. It, it, it was so brutalizing KG that they cut the feed and stopped, like they stopped broadcasting it and censored it. Wow. And they still put on the event and everything, and they put out their own press release. They just stopped showing the game in question and so on. Like the commentary, because the commentators were being honest <laughs> about their uh, what they were watching and what they were witnessing. And even though the game ended up only half a point in favor of AlphaGo, and you know, and the government, the Chinese government, really held on to how close he kept it and so on, but it was never close. It was already a hundred zero effectively. It was just off the board much, much, much earlier. It's just that AlphaGo does not care about the margin of victory. It only cares about maximizing the probability of victory. Yeah. Did we ever get to see the end of that match? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Everywhere else except China got to see it. It was only <laughs> censored internally. It's okay. on the internet. You can just go get it. It's just. Yeah, uh, actually, all the matches, uh, out, so they, they did a variety of events. The headlining thing was three games against KG, they, uh, where the winner gets $1.5 million, and the runner-up gets 300000 Okay, which is you know, a pretty good deal for KG. Yeah. <laughs> getting a, but uh, he knew going in that it was going to be extremely difficult. He was very outspoken about how he could beat AlphaGo a year ago, like witnessing, Lee, particularly when Lee Sedol actually won a game, but he, by the time Master rolled around, KG was of the opinion that there was a good chance that Master would be too, or that AlphaGo would be too strong. And uh, in the course of this match, during the first game, you know, they asked him beforehand about what his chances were, and he said, "This is the match he's prepared the most for in his life, but he thinks it will be very, very difficult." He's going to try. He, it's going to be very difficult. And after the first game, he said that he will not play against computers after the, these next two games and that there is no more competition and that there are no good Go players except AlphaGo. AlphaGo is the god of Go. Well, I, I take it the games, all three games went very poorly for the humans. Although, interestingly, I mean, AlphaGo won all three. Yeah. But the second game, According to AlphaGo's metrics, the second game is the most perfect it's ever seen a person play. Oh, cool. Like, he actually, a hundred moves into the game. I mean, first of all, his first 50 were uh, effectively flawless, but even a hundred moves into the game, it was still competitive. And it sounds funny to use that as a metric, but almost nobody has ever lasted more than 25 moves and still having good chances. And here, he's a hundred moves in and still has chances. Typically, AlphaGo has already long secured the victory. You're just going through the motions. And no, I, so... I think that's a perfectly valid metric to make when like you're this outclassed. To oh, say, yeah. I kept up for this long still really counts for a lot. Overwhelming. I mean, so, I mean he, might have, he might have had the floor soup to them at the end, but like to know that he went down as valiantly as any human possibly could or ever has, that's probably... Or maybe not necessarily possibly could, but ever has. That's... Oh. that's uh, that's still something to celebrate. Oh, absolutely. Uh, his performance was absolutely marvelous because part of the thing that makes this match so different than a year ago is that when Lee Sedol played against AlphaGo, AlphaGo was merely playing stronger than any human ever has. This AlphaGo... It, it, so AlphaGo a year ago, stronger than any human. By the time it was master, it was making brilliant game-changing moves that you would write books of theory about multiple times a game, but it was still playing Go. By the time this event rolled around, it was no longer playing Go. It's alien. Its its strategies are ineffable. Where 
AlphaGo before was there was this golden period for a little while where people were watching, and it's like every single game they watch, AlphaGo is just pioneering new strategies, new styles, opening up all this exploration, completely flipping the table of so many different, so many paths are being opened by AlphaGo. But now watching AlphaGo, it was so alien. It's hard. You can find moves and things that you can use. But it's very difficult to understand what it's doing because its strategy doesn't adhere to it, its actions, its behavior. It's like there is no rhyme or reason that we can grok yet. And people are trying to put the pieces together of why do you make a move here sometimes? Why do you make a move there? So but it, it's so it, alien that it, it, it's hard to know what's, what you're even doing. It appears to be just random moves, but somehow always ends up being a huge blowout victory. Well, it's it's not just pure random. It's like no, but it's from order, our perspective, yeah, it's an, whatever the order is. We can't see it. Yeah, we don't know what the patterns are. We don't know because there's all these heuristics that people use for playing Go that Alpha Go doesn't play Go the way that people do. They do, it doesn't seem to. It just so many of the things that are basic tenets it doesn't adhere to. It does so many moves that humans should never do. And we don't know why you can do them some of the time. And when we try, it, we fail because we don't know whatever later things that are happening that make this work out. And we're trying to put the pieces together. But at this point, actually, this match was so decisive that AlphaGo has retired and is no longer playing anymore. Partly because watching it's not the same thing anymore, but partly also because at this point they have proved their case. It's so far beyond. One of their things I was, wasn't... I was kind of okay. saddened when, when I heard that. That AlphaGo is retiring now. Like, it could just keep continuing being more and more alien and ineffable, right? But AlphaGo existing makes there no robot versus robot fights that anybody cares about. Mm. Because they would want it to face AlphaGo, and AlphaGo is so much stronger at the moment, and they don't want there to be a perpetual arms race for winning this against other, you know. There's going to be an appetite for robots that face other robots and other companies to do that. But I think that is outside the scope of what Google and uh, DeepMind want to do. So what what do they want to do? Why would they retire AlphaGo? What's, what interest of theirs does it serve to stop AlphaGo now? They're moving on to other things. AlphaGo has played many games other than Go and is going to be playing many other games. Uh, they just want to move more of their focus to some of the other games because in this spot, their premise wasn't just that they could make a computer program, that, that they could make AlphaGo beat humans. They also wanted to demonstrate their ability to convert processing power and CPUs into ELO and as a, use ELO as a measure of intelligence and demonstrate the relationship between an increase in power and an increase in processing centers and intelligence. We should really quickly uh, clarify for people, ELO is the ranking system. Yes, ELO is effectively a way of describing the skill. What are, you, what are your chances of winning? And Google, one of their things was that it's not just we can make something better than a human at this. They wanted to demonstrate we can increase electricity and we can increase how many computers we put in the network and demonstrate a math formula of the function of how much more processing power do you need to get each unit of intelligence more. They also were improving their efficiency, whereas AlphaGo a year ago was thousands of, uh, you know, had thousands of local hubs connected in a giant network. They brought a laptop to beat him this time. Holy crap. They've gotten, it, AlphaGo has become so good that they could just bring it with them. And 
uh, in this spot, they were able to demonstrate, like they, they said, we actually know exactly how good it is with this much processing and this amount of efficiency and this whatever, right? Currently, Alpha, this version of AlphaGo is playing at a 4,500 ELO, yeah. which to give some context of what it means, every, uh, effectively every, it's a logarithmic scale of sorts. And the amount better that AlphaGo is than the best player in the world is... No human is even, you know, remotely close to that. I was slightly sad to hear that it was so... I mean, on the one hand, it's amazing that it is, there's ineffable god of Go among us. On the other hand, in our previous episode, like I said, it was actually exciting because you relate to, relayed the games to us. And there were really interesting parts where it was human versus machine. And there was like the one legendary move that everyone talks about. And uh, in these games, there's like less to talk about. because That's it's only also... in the match against... Uh, against KG. Yeah. See, the plot thickens. It, Wait, really it, quick, I have a yeah. quick interjection. You mentioned that it was making crazy moves a lot when it was playing online as Master. Mm-hmm. Were those moves as ineffable as the legendary move against Lisa Dahl? Uh, was it like those yeah. five times so a game? It, yeah, it's like the the moves that it did against Lisa Dahl. I mean, it was playing brilliantly, but one of the moves that it did against Lisa Dahl, it's like it was doing that multiple times a game that's instead I, of that's one time curious. in the whole match. Yeah, it was like it was doing that multiple times a game where it's like, oh my god, this is like a paradigm-changing move, but it's doing it multiple times. That's awesome. It does, I think I see Inyash's point that it makes it seem less special because it's doing it like flippantly all the time now. Oh. Where it's like, yeah, remember that time like I, I don't know, did this crazy magic thing? Well, now I'm just doing that casually. I can do that you know, with one hand with my eyes closed. Well, when but- every single move is like that, there's no, there's really not much to talk about anymore. It's just like, yeah, God came in and did his magic. But, but see, <laughs> uh, the plot actually thickens. AlphaGo may be so much stronger than a human, but the best human versus the best computer was only one of the events at this, uh, at this Future of Go Summit. They also had uh, a match of AlphaGo versus six of the best players in the world, or five or six of the best players in the world, and teaming up, which is actually very, uh, it's actually relatively efficient. You would think, you know, it might be challenging, but there is a way you can be efficient about Go together as a team that isn't just going to slow you down and make you worse than the sum of the parts. Interesting. And perhaps even more fascinating, which AlphaGo, by the way, routed him. Uh, AlphaGo is still just too strong compared to even humans teaming up. But the, the part that I found particularly fascinating... AlphaGo playing on a team with an expert level player, not even a professional level player, somebody who would be, I guess they would be somewhere in the ballpark of a hundred. They they would never win. They could never, ever win a game against KG ever. They could never win a single game. And like when an expert player plays on a team with AlphaGo, they actually crush AlphaGo. They actually win five out of six times against AlphaGo without a teammate. Even though they're a human that's so weak of a human, they could never beat the best human player ever. They're so helpful because humans are so much better at coming up with ideas of what to look at and think about. That when the human, instead of the human deciding what move to make, if the human's job is to point to areas for AlphaGo to think about, suggestions, uh, ideas, if it's providing seeds and feedback, humans would appear to be monstrously more effective at coming up with ideas and suggesting things than AlphaGo is. That is super interesting. And so it's now there's this question of there's this new era because one of the big things they unveiled is just how real of a sport Go tandem with a computer is because Go tandem with a computer is actually very meaningfully different than humans playing with chess. When humans play chess with chess robots, the chess just, a robot just tells them what to do. Mm Mm-hmm. When humans play with Go, 
there's a new skill set, a new strategy, uh, area for strategy of how to most efficiently provide suggestions to AlphaGo. Huh. And AlphaGo can actually record how useful the human suggestions were and give points to people uh, that it plays with based on how effective they are at providing suggestions. And it can provide feedback so that the humans can learn how to provide better ideas. Like it can reward the human for which types of ideas we're giving the AlphaGo, you know, the right ideas of where to look at. And meanwhile, AlphaGo is also learning from the humans, like trying to figure out the pattern of where do humans suggest looking at in circumstances and so on. So it's trying to replace us anyway, little <laughs> mini human simulators. Yeah. So for there's this brief window now where like cyborg fights will be more fun than just robot fights. Oh, yeah. I think right now the fact that a human playing with a robot versus a human playing with a robot is actually incredible because when the human plays with the robot, they play better than any human on Earth, but it still looks... It's still, and this is without Alpha. Well, it's without AlphaGo playing is even better because of how much it looks more relatable when they just have other people's programs playing. But when people are playing with a robot on their team, it's like the difference between two people running to us the end of the hundred meter dash or a sprint or whatever, a mile run or whatever. Two people are running this race versus two people in cars. It's a different sport, but it's a new sport. That's sort of the mental model I was picturing, except I was doing it with like gladiators and just like, like I know robot isn't like necessarily the best word for this, but it's just what I'm picturing just to make it fun for myself. And I think it's relatable. But, you know, when I was picturing two robots fighting against each other, I was thinking like robot wars where they, you know, they build robots with saw blades and stuff like that. And it always turns, it always turns out to be either a spinner or a flip bot that wins. Right. Yeah. But then I was thinking, oh, cool, cyborg fights. And then I just pictured like gladiators, but like augmented arms and like, you know, shields and stuff. Yeah. Um, but I know that's not super helpful. But what I was thinking oh, of that, is that, it, t- it ties into like a car is like an augmented person in the sense that like it just enhances our ability to go fast. Kind of torturing the analogy, <laughs> but uh, maybe bicycling is the better way to put it. Yeah, in some ways it's like bicycling. Yeah, there's got to be some. There's no good mid ground motorcycle. So Meh. do you do you know enough about this how this team up thing works to talk about it at all? It like what does the human do? Is it the suggest moves, stones, just provide ideas of like possible moves or a possible sequence of moves it just keeps feeding it ideas of and things to think about or things to look at and why are humans so much better at that than the 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 computer you would think the computer could do that too right uh the computer's approach to how to come up with ideas it's somewhat cumbersome the even though the computer's strategy how it values things how it thinks about things is its own devising it's just not as efficient it uses a lot of random generation of its own like it comes up with ideas using effectively random number generators like variations of its own strategy its own experiences and for reasons that are not yet clear there is a a skill that humans seem to have there is a efficiency of processing where they are able to parse out what are good things to look at much faster and more efficiently than AlphaGo on its own. Like, it's providing ideas that are much more than the sum of the parts. So AlphaGo does all the really detailed looking. Like, AlphaGo looks all the way to the end of games many, 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 many times. Like, every second, it's looking at thousands and thousands and thousands of entire games. And humans don't do all that. So AlphaGo spends a lot of processing power playing out games. 
And the humans can spend a lot of processing power doing other things. How how they're coming up with these ideas is not clear, but that's one of the areas that I think DeepMind and others are interested in trying to figure out is how do humans imagine things? Like how yeah. how are humans so good at imagining things? But actually on your topic about the fighting, that's already been proposed. There's there's actually standing offer already for robot versus MMA fighter now. <laughs> Uh, it's it's a tricky thing because I think I'm that there's... I'm assuming they would pad the robot or something? I, say, I don't think that there's any... I also just don't think that... I don't know. I mean, maybe you could find the right person, but to me, I think that it's a difficult thing to watch a human versus a robot fighting because it just seems so clearly like, dude, you can just make the robot... Like, I mean, I already have experience of what it's like to try to fight a car driving <laughs> yes. 70 miles an hour at me. <laughs> yes. there, so was, there was a Rick and Morty episode that references that when they did, they did one of the interdimensional cable episodes and one of like the, it just like flashes between like these random bullshit improv shows. And one of them was like humans fighting cars and then like, <laughs> like, oh, look, he's going for it. And then, oh no, he got tripped and he's being chewed up by the tires. And then it's like, wouldn't he, wouldn't the car just win every time? Yeah. I think that's exactly what would happen. Like you just make the robot too hard to hit. Right. Like you and, can't dent steel with your fists. Right. Maybe so there, you gotta get there'd have to be some other rules. Like if you hit it hard enough, it registers as a, I don't know, something. You'd have to make the robot vulnerable in some way. It could be like a pointed system, like in a Taekwondo match yeah. or something. But that sounds a lot less boring than watching a robot try and kill a person who's like agreed to try and be try and not be killed by the robot. Right. I'm not a violent person, but I, I would watch the hell out. I might watch the hell out of that. I'd see how gruesome it was first. Watching two robots fight each other, though. I mean, it's one thing if they're just doing the whole spinners and flipping, you know, but like... If they got to meet spe- uh, specifications with, uh, where, you know, if they look like people and they're cyborg, robotic, or whatever, and it's okay. literally just remote controlled and there's two, be- pe- two humans fighting with the cyborgs. Oh, that would See, be I think, interesting. Because like I think Pacific that, Rim. I, yeah. <laughs> <yes>. yeah. <laughs> I, I got a feeling that if you, uh, if you just have the robots use, like, machine learning in order to figure out how to fight, it might end up in, uh, being much less compelling a viewership. It might be awesome, mm-hmm. but I bet the window of where it's awesome to watch is relatively small before both robots are like weirdly hiding on the edges of the cage and like just spastically bouncing around in some you know un like unknowable pattern trying to position. Yeah. You know, they're trying to arrange all the atoms in the air into a way... 90% will... of it is just them standing at each other and then there's one flash of movement and someone has decided a winner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I'm not so sure that. I mean, I don't know if you ever seen. There's a there's a video on YouTube of uh, machine learning playing Super Smash Brothers. It's weird watching. It doesn't really play like humans do. It mostly hangs out off the edge of the map, like exploiting being able to jump off the end, and it bounces around in a way where it's just. Yeah, it's not. It's weird to look at. It's like okay, I guess this is Super Smash Brothers. <laughs> like, if you think it's obnoxious when people play Street Fighter 2 and they just do ducking short kick or just yeah, try to yeah. trip you over and over again, yeah. the AI is shameless about being exploitive in its strategy. Because it literally has no shame. <laughs> <laughs> the game is First thing to- we gotta do is program shame into our computers. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like that might be how it all goes south, though. <laughs> I mean, yeah, well, what, if you, what do you do when you're sufficiently shamed? You lash out, right? We don't want that. If it... Yeah, if all it cares about is winning, it doesn't care about, like, shaming us right back. You know, I don't know. Whatever. One of the current exciting next steps for AlphaGo, because it's moving on to other games. It's got new challenges, right? One of the things it's trying to do now, which is seems like it would have been unimaginable a year and a half ago, is uh, it's learning to play uh, StarCraft. Yes! Now yeah. this is fucking amazing. 
Oh yeah, it's so one of the parameters that makes it particularly interesting is that they're going to limit it, its number of actions per minute to being like a human, mm-hmm. because already there are program like it's already there are already ways that people have demonstrated that you can literally just brute force certain things by allowing the computer to just make thousands and thousands of operations. And it's like, okay, yes, if you're just a monstrous hive mind and you can control your micro is just so far off the charts, you can brute force the game. But instead, uh, AlphaGo is going to try to learn how to play StarCraft with only having as many, you know, as many operations as humans get, yeah, you know, as many per second. It's micro. Yeah, exactly. Being just like a human, but it just rely on its strategy. That'll be interesting to see how that one goes, you know, and actually uh, Blizzard announced partnering with them in this way and letting them kind of go in because normally it's against the terms of service of StarCraft to let bots play. Yeah, you're not supposed to ha- actually have bots playing the game. But they're going to allow AlphaGo to take a crack at it and supervise that whole thing. But it seems like if you ask first and you're Google, Blizzard should be like, "Yeah, that's we okay." You know, they're not you're not some asshole trying to you know boost your score on the on the boards here. Right, you've asked permission. I, it would be weird if they're like, "No, no robots. That's the rule." They actually partnered with uh, a couple companies, like both Blizzard making Hearthstone and Wizards of the Coast making Magic: The Gathering. Where AlphaGo effectively same thing. DeepMind was learning how to read specs, like uh, the specifications by designers of what cards they wanted implemented for Magic or for Hearthstone, and then writing a script for how to implement those cards in the digital versions, the 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 digital card games, because it's part of the language. All this stuff has to do with ways. DeepMind is trying to learn how to think. Mm-hmm. and how to think like a human and how humans think and one of the biggest areas is with language language is very 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 challenging for machines and so to be able to read the specifications of what it wants or of what the humans want made and then instead of having to pay an engineer to like literally write the code AlphaGo would just write the code huh. for the humans of what they wanted and then they would evaluate how good was AlphaGo able to figure out what we wanted, and then literally write new scripts to implement it. That's 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 verging into the scary territory. <laughs> yeah, in plus my opinion. I don't want to be out of a job. Well, I mean that that too, but just, <laughs> and just and the end of the war, end in the world, but you know, right? Just the fact that it would be able to. I mean, at that point, you're actually doing thinking. One of the challenges, though, is that so far, one of the reasons that one doesn't get publicized as much is that uh, it's not ready yet. Okay. It's not good enough at that. It was okay, and it got better, but it capped out and still just wasn't good enough to do... Yeah, they, they need to make some serious advancements because its curve, it isn't getting enough better to be... It's missing a vital component of being able to figure out new things. It can do derivative things, but it's missing uh, a certain ability to grok novel concepts that it wasn't making progress on yet, but they're, they're going to keep working and they want to revisit eventually after AlphaGo learns some new ways, or after DeepMind learns some new ways to think. I'm somewhat excited about this uh, StarCraft thing because there's so many variables in StarCraft. So many different ways that units can interact, and so many, so many units you have on screen at one time, plus the way they act with their environment. It just it doesn't seem to me like a thing that is easily translated into a machine. So one of the things well, easily is doing a lot of work in that sentence, right? That's true. There's a reason it wasn't done 15 years ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's put it this way. One of the biggest challenges is how do you simulate an entire game of StarCraft? You can just play 
games of StarCraft, but humans can only play so many games of StarCraft. There's just not enough time in the day. Yeah. One of the advantages to Go is that AlphaGo could think about, like AlphaGo has thought about more games of Go than all humans have ever thought about mm-hmm. put together. So it's, uh, it's a very different thing. How is AlphaGo going to think about StarCraft without being able to simulate the games all the way to the end? Because th- that is actually impossible, right? It can't I don't play know. against itself. Uh, impossible its is head. a funny word. I don't know right. what impo- I don't know how oh, impossible yeah. works. The only three types of impossible are we can conceive of how to do it. We just don't yet have the technology, or we can't even conceive of how to do it. But it's not forbidden by physics, or it's forbidden by physics. So we would need to have a new framework for how to think about physics. Right. All three types are just defined by what it takes for them to be possible. <laughs> That is a very interesting way of looking at impossible. I'm going to try to remember that. that those are the three types of impossible. I mean, what, what is impossible? I mean, impossible... There, there are some people who think about the system as being all... Like, it's just, this is the only thing there is, and all there is is inside of this. But, you know, there is more than just playing with this. With You know, there's more than just playing within the framework. There's also playing with the framework. Because what if you just looked at everything a different way? Well, playing with the framework sounds like a different order of problem. Like, so I, I thought of impossible in terms of, like, impossible in principle, which is, like, faster than light travel. Unless, like, that turns out to be wrong, then that's just impossible, like, in principle. But then there's impossible in practice, like, uh, I don't know, me getting to the moon for 15 bucks, right? For, like, an afternoon trip. Like, that's currently impossible in practice, but not impossible in principle. So, so uh, yeah, the, type, the, the first type, it's like getting to the moon for 15 bucks. Maybe eventually you can. I know that, like, in almost all of human history, it would have been really weird to be able to get from Denver to Chicago for 15 bucks. I've done it for 19, you know, not too long ago. Like, one way on an airplane. $19? Yeah. Wow. It's a hell but, of a deal. Oh, yeah. But in terms of the Type 2 possibility, you know, obviously technology improves. Teleportation. Actually, teleportation is a great example of one that right now we we have. It's just... We don't have it in a practical way. The teleportation is increasing, and pr- we're improving our teleportation all the time. Like already, right now, we can teleport things. Okay. It's just oh, you know, no, I have no idea what you're talking about. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So look this up too, dude. Technology is happening really fast these days. Okay. Uh, but you can actually uh, teleport. Inf- you can teleport like the phase of uh, electrons and information and get it from one place to another without it having to move through that space. And uh, it's very inefficient. Okay. The, but the amount of uh, power and the amount of processing it would take in order to be able to, to transport much larger things, it's not even remotely feasible yet. However, things are going to get better. We're going to get better technology in the future, almost assuredly, you know. I mean, it would be very unlikely. For us not to. But the type 2 possibilities, the type 2 possibilities would be like, uh, for instance, uh, certain forms of time travel, where it's like, we have, it's very hard to even imagine how it works taking negative energy and using it inside, like collapsing a black hole or any sort of, but it's not actually forbidden. Reversing entropy. Yeah, it's, well, so, so the next question is, reversing entropy actually bridges into it nicely. Things that are forbidden by our physics... Like, uh, entropy always increases, and you can't go faster than light. Wait, are you of the opinion that time travel is not forbidden by our physics? Definitely it's not forbidden by our physics. Okay. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. In my opinion, anyway, based on all the physics I know, anyway, I, I, I don't do know. Not know all that much physics. It's not forbidden. Okay. There's a lot of things that are very difficult, <laughs> uh, highly convoluted, but the universe might be a very big place. The uh, faster than light, however, I don't even know what it means to go faster than light because the kind of the definition of light involves this in a way where you can't or you would need a new definition. It just by definition doesn't. You can get from one place to another faster than light. In fact, we... Some people would say that there have been... uh, Definitely people would say this, but there are some who say that they have successfully achieved reproducible faster than light speed communication in uh, in certain experiments with being able to transport information through quantum entanglement where... Oh, is that the yeah. transportation you were talking about? Mm, no, no, actually no, no, there's no, more okay. teleportation than even just that, but yes. Okay, that, that is what I had heard about, and I had my doubts about that one. Yeah, that one, it's tricky because the margin of error is large enough that it could be still in the realm of information could have traveled fast enough. So, yeah, it, it's really confusing how the world works, or how the universe works. Besides, I mean, for all we know, maybe it's connected in, uh, you know... A, a tightly furled dimension, and things are much closer in a different axis than what we're looking at. I just know that no one comes to Stephen Hawking's time travel parties. Oh, so does he keep throwing those? I, I know at least he did once. I, okay, but I, all it takes is once, right? <laughs> well, so he's sort of he sent out the invitations afterwards. Yep. And so, like, if anyone could have come down the line when they heard about it after you know when it was announced, they would have shown up yeah. if they wanted to. And maybe maybe future maybe scientists there don't weren't like him. enough cool people at the party, so they didn't want to go. Might have just been him to keep the secret. I don't know. Uh, yeah, but okay. the thing is, don't you don't you think that like if you literally have a time machine, it occurs to you that maybe a person who's publicizing this very very widely, like maybe maybe the universe is there's a selection effect. The universe is where the time travelers go back to that to that spot and go to the party. That's the one where not the time too traveling many of those put a bomb in that in that party. Right. Travel terrorists. <laughs> well, if, if, if... Why not? Yeah, right. <laughs> Someone's going to get their hands on that tech. Besides, are you telling me with the events of the past year that you have it totally out of the range that somebody <laughs> isn't using time travel right now? Just to troll us? Oh, God. <laughs> Let's see what happens to the Americans if they get the Trump. Oh, God. That, I mean, that ups my simulation hypothesis uh, <laughs> a little bit. Definitely, as the numbers... I, w- I was watching the numbers on 538 on November 28th, and or no- November 8th, and I'm like, every time... When it switched from fifth, you know, when when Trump took the lead and didn't fall back down, I was like, "Oh, okay, this could be alternate history, infinite numbers, whatever." Let's see what happens if Trump won in two thousand sixteen. Hit enter. Like, I mean, that that crossed my mind. Right. I don't so. know why that event specifically would increase your odds, though. Like, I mean, there. How crazy is it that World War One started? Okay, yeah. something would have sparked it off eventually. But you heard about how unlikely the assassination of the Archduke Ferdinand was, right? Sure. I. Uh, I I guess this was the first, like, I don't know. A, it was my mind rebelling against reality. And okay. that was part of how my brain coped with it. Yeah. But another part was that I thought the odds... I mean, the odds weren't astronomically low. This wasn't like he becomes president and immediately gets killed by a meteorite. And then his you know, body gets struck by lightning 50,000 right. times. It wasn't but, like the LHC got shut down by a donut or something. Yeah, I mean, this he's got to be like... He's got to be on your list of top 100 people most likely every four years for the last 12 years, right? If you were making a list of 100 people... That's I mean, true. I mean, he's run before. That, that alone gives him a bonus. People who have expressed list. an interest go to the meetings. Go like have political connections. 
It's yeah, like, I no. mean, how big of a pond is it when it comes to the people who are making major plays at these things? I mm. mean, maybe not top 100, maybe top 300, I don't know. But certainly there are, are 300 million people, like the vast majority of people have a substantial, they'd be way lower on my list. Like right now, pick somebody. Mark Zuckerberg, he's way high on my list compared to most people. Mm. No, no, you're totally right. And I, I like I said, this, was, this wasn't my brain doing the calculation. It was more just like my brain freaking out at the moment. Like yeah. in, in hindsight... Yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, then like the next morning, I wake up and be like, "Well, one in twenty, you know, or one in five things happened. It was twenty percent was what there was what roughly five thirty eight had him at." And I was like, "Well, that happens, you know, more About 20% often percent of the time." Exactly. <laughs> so like that, that that was not the kind of like universe shattering everything I believe is false observation that w- it would take to like shatter my reality. But uh, like I said, that was like the Patriots. Oh. The, the Patriots come back, the single greatest comeback in the history of football this past. The number of off-the-board like, Oh, I don't know. I didn't, so I didn't so watch the, super, the thing. So there's a game in America called football. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> but I hear they don't actually use their feet on the ball very they often. Do, well, I don't know about very often. I'm not one to judge. But mostly <laughs> you touch it with your hands. Yeah. The There's important points that involve the foot. You're mostly running on your feet is the thing you're doing with your feet. Aye, then you could call any sport football. Of course. Okay. Except but if for you re- call them all football, then it would get confusing. Right, Except exactly. for water polo and regular <laughs> polo. <laughs> so the Patriots are one of the best football teams in history. Like They just have won many championships. Very, very prolific team with arguably the best coach in the history of football, or one of the best coaches. Certainly the best current coach. And they were losing by an enormous margin versus the Falcons. They were losing by just such an enormous amount that... Uh, no team has ever come back from this much in a Super Bowl to win, and they actually did. They rallied late, and it was... They called up AlphaGo. <laughs> they were like, what do we do, AlphaGo? I mean, it, it, you know, I don't know. There's a lot on the line. A lot of people would have made a lot of money. I don't know if AlphaGo knows how to play football yet. No. I don't know. I, w- do you think football would be more complicated than StarCraft? Well, so it's confusing. There's so much randomness in both. Like I think that StarCraft would be harder. Like yeah. Assuming that we set aside the whole, you need to have a body and you need to like move. If the if the AI is just able to, if we hand wave the whole controlling all the humans on the field mm-hmm. part, uh, I would guess that football is easier yeah. than StarCraft. I, w- I would assume it's much easier to simulate than than a StarCraft game would. Mainly because there's so many fewer moving parts. Yeah, there's just exactly. lot. There's a lot of just random number generator things where if you just know the correct math, you can just leverage math and then whatever utility functions you're optimizing for, such as lift weight or have energy or be able to move fast or whatever the thing is. Uh, actually, a lot of teams are experimenting now with technology for improving their uh, their sports, their, their athletes' uh, abilities. Like, for instance, Steph Curry, one of the absolute best basketball players in the world. So he's, he's, he's only like uh, 6'2". Most of the best basketball players, very, very tall, giant, freakish, you know, abnormal-sized humans. Steph Curry, aggressively normal-sized human. Do you know that one out of six people that are over seven feet tall are in the NBA? Or one out of six Americans that are over six, seven feet tall are in the NBA? Yeah. That's not surprising. It's insane. It's like right now. It's yeah. like the number of people. So, uh, so no, this uh, Steph? Yeah, so he does a lot of training. He has a neural coach. And they, there's a variety, so actually, uh, one of the, there's a guy who used to work at Facebook that worked on a lot of AI stuff there that does some uh, training with different athletes, and uh, there's a variety of other people actually who are getting into it now too, but Steph Curry, the way he works, 
he has these goggles or glasses of sorts that have flashing lights. And he goes through the motions of certain drills and they have staff that are helping that are actors that are all playing out the parts. You know, a bunch of people who maybe they played college basketball or maybe they played in the European League or maybe they're just, whatever. They're having a bunch of people or they're, it's the farm system. They're just people who are going through the motions who know what they're supposed to be doing and they reenact it and they play the simulations over and over and over again. And Steph will know which simulation he's doing, which uh, routine, which practice route, and the light will flash and he does it and the light flashes and he does it and the light flashes and he does it and, and they do a variety of these and there's a separate one they do of training where the light flashes without him knowing which one he's going to have to do. And then he just has to react as fast as possible and do it. And then they just go through over and over again without him knowing which one it's going to be. And he just responds to the light over and over and over and over and over again. And he does this so much. And eventually he sees the flash of light without the visor. Oh, cool. So he just, and he doesn't even react. He, I mean, he doesn't even think about it. He just is reacting and, so are these situations that he's training on ones that occur often in the game of basketball? Very, yeah. They are the ones that are the highest leverage, most common, and ways for him to gain advantages. Huh. And after he does his training, he actually sits in a uh, sensory deprivation chamber. Because uh, apparently, you know, they ask him about it. It's like, do you just like, you know, some people only do it once in a while, but Steph actually stays in for much longer than a lot of people. And they're like... Are you going crazy? You sure are spending a lot of time in the sensory deprivation chamber. But supposedly he's like, you know, you can only, like he does X amount of reps in an hour of neural training. And he says he does twice as many in the half hour he spends in sensory deprivation. Hmm. Because your mind has nothing left to do. And so it just keeps replaying the patterns over and over and over again of the things that are in your short-term memory. Jesus. That sounds almost like he's getting to the point of a, a, a sort of a Jiro Dreams of Sushi kind of basketball playing robot you know what was this guy's like, name what else is he steph curry so he's so off the charts breaking the model i mean if actually 538 uh have written quite extensively about he has broken basketball the entire game of basketball has been revolutionized in the last three years because of some ways that uh the golden state warriors the team that he plays on that currently this year are the best team any team has ever been ever uh they are way ahead of uh, certain types of metrics and using, you know, valuing things. They're very much, it's a bunch of uh, Silicon Valley and they're really into math and they're really, and they have a very futuristic look at the game. He completely changed the game with regards to shooting, like for instance, three pointers in basketball. Uh, if you shoot from far away, you get three points. And this is a, a rule that has only existed for about 30 something years they added it to help make the game more interesting, make more swings. But for most of the history of basketball, there haven't been that many three-pointers, even in the even close to as many three-pointers as there are now. One of the challenges is that they're so hard because of how far away you are. However, people now have gotten so much better at training. They're so much stronger. And also, they have been spending their entire lives shooting three-pointers, whereas the people before learned as adults. Uh-huh. Now the people have learned since they were small children they're so much stronger, so much better, and one of the big things that happened just recently that Steph Curry almost accidentally discovered was that weightlifting can actually help you tremendously. It's kind of counter to a lot of the existing thing. Like if you lift weights in the short run, it's harder to shoot three pointers. It throws off your your whole, you know, your arm strength, your balance, your your depth perception, your not depth perception, your sense of how far to throw the ball or how hard to use, but uh steph curry's case he 
very gifted, very gifted player, but his ankles kept giving out when he was in college. And uh, when he goes onto the pros, he's having all these ankle injuries. There's all these giant people, and when he hits them, he goes down, and he goes down hard on the ground, and he's running so fast, and he keeps having ankle injuries that are uh, going to be real problematic. And one of the things they try is having him lift weights. And he lifts more and more and more weights with the idea being if you're just stronger, and also you learn how to fall. And if you watch Steph, he, he falls uh, like 20 times a game because he doesn't try to land. His ankles will break because he's going so fast and so hard. He just flops down and lets the people knock him around because they're so much bigger than him. His strength has gotten so high that he can shoot from much, 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 much further than other people. And he, like, for instance, he can actually make the majority of his, like, if he just shoots from half court, he can just make it. Wow. And, uh, like, I think last year, half of all the shots from uh, further back, like, from a certain distance back in the entire game he made, he was making, and uh, he ma- it's like the equivalent of, I don't know which sport would be the correct analog here, baseball, of hitting 117 home runs when the record was, like, you know, in the 70s. It's like by so large of a margin that it doesn't even make sense what we're watching anymore. That's really awesome. And like you said, alpha go for basketball. But I wonder... So I, I'm interested that like so many of the details of his training methodology are known because you'd think like if it's giving him that much of an edge, you'd want to keep it on the down low. Well, it's only after a few years, and I think enough other people are doing it now that they started talking about it. It's uh, it's interesting though. There's lots of ways that are rapidly expanding. Like uh, Mark Cuban, the owner of the Dallas Mavericks, another basketball team, he's been working on technology. Like for instance, he's got visors that when you're wearing the visors. When somebody, uh, the glasses of sorts, when somebody shoots the ball, instantly it starts giving you probability assessments, one on the right, one on the left, and one on the middle, of whether the ball is going to bounce to the right when it misses, or bounce to the left, or if it's going to go in, you know. And they've improved the technology to such a degree that by the time you let go of the ball, when the ball is only just a few feet from your hand, it already is off the board certain of where the ball is going to go. Yeah. It already knows if you've made it or not. It already knows which way it's going to bounce. Because yeah, that's determined as soon as it leaves your hand. It's exactly. just how soon can you, with the technology, tell. There's so little interference because of the, oh, yeah. air. the air. It's predictable. It's yeah. very predictable. It all cancels out so much that by the time it lets go, it's already done the calculations. Yeah. And if somebody were wearing the glasses... They would, as soon as the ball is shot, they would be able to tell where they need to go to get the rebound or if it's going to go in. I'm assuming those sort of glasses would not be legal for play, though. Correct. No, no, no. There's lots of rules about which kind of technology you can use or not. But I wonder sometimes, you know, I mean, with sports, there's so much money on the line. There's so much prestige. There's so much, uh, like, win at all costs at times. I wonder who's going to come up with contact lenses to do this. That was my first thought, too, because they, they already have contact Im- lenses that can project images right. in a way that isn't blinding or doesn't even light up your eyes. But I guess where you'd put the camera, but that wouldn't be that hard either once you're already I'm, putting stuff in your face. I mean, but, I'm assuming that's not too far from now. They'll be able to just to have those from cameras watching the field. And ooh. so commentators will be able to say as soon as it leaves someone's hand, oh, that's not going to go in. That'd be funny. You, you I also need- would, I would watch the hell out of a game of like both teams all wearing these glasses <laughs> just to watch the entire like group Everyone. dynamic. It, it would change the game completely. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Imagine if underneath your shorts, there was just uh, a couple triggers 
that indicated to you it just tapped if it was going to go to the if it was going to be on the right side or the left side or if it was going to go in and you just felt it you wouldn't even need to have anything in your face the the camera could just be doing it you just feel the tap and then you behave and react accordingly that that is the sort of thing that sometimes so i know this is the ideal that you strive for when you are working in a physical art um the one i most often think of is the martial arts where uh, if you have to think about what you're doing, you're going to lose against someone who just reacts on instincts, who has drilled so much on it that when a punch starts coming at them, their body does the thing without any conscious thought needing to get in the way. Uh, and and that that was, you know, one of the really cool things uh, I thought about uh, The Matrix when they uploaded Kung Fu into Neo's head. And he said, I know Kung Fu. It's not like he had any physical like any any actual idea mental knowledge before he was really surprised that now when a punch came at him his body would just do the thing and i had that experience before playing uh, guitar hero mm. and it's basically when i stopped playing guitar hero because always before there was notes coming on the screen you know i would play on my guitar and i got to the point where i'd been playing long enough i noticed at one point in a particularly tough song when it got to the solo like the notes were just being hit <laughs> and I wasn't present. I was just watching what was going down, and my body was doing the thing for me. And it was kind of awesome that my body could translate what was coming into my eyes and do what I wanted to happen. But on the other hand, it felt like I wasn't involved anymore. And that was wow. when I stopped playing, because I was like, well, now it's just my body playing the game and not me. <laughs> and, and Were it, you playing it, the hardest levels? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I was going to say, because there's still room to go to go to like, the madness levels or something, right? Oh, well, I but... mean, and after I stopped playing for a few weeks, then my skills deteriorated to the point where I could now play it for fun, but I don't play it as intensely as I used to, because... And I, I know that's where you want to get with almost everything, but to me, it feels like you're almost subtracting the human at that point. And so I, when I see athletes like that, that just their entire life is just training, reacting, doing the thing, I was like, what, what is their internal experience like? I want to weigh on two two things really quick. One that I think peaking, like hitting the best you can ever do, mm-hmm. probably takes some of the fun out of whatever it is you're doing. Because part of the fun is getting better, mm-hmm. and once you've gotten as good as you can get, or as good as is possible for you, then it's like, well, now all the fun of getting better is gone. Then it's just trying to maintain. But and it as was, far it as was pretty short too, it was only about forty five seconds, and then I fell out of that, and I had to think again. Sure, but just but, the fact that I had those forty five seconds, and like the more thing. that you did it, the longer those seconds would probably be. So, right. but then I've got to think too, like with professional athletes. They don't. They probably hit that point for a little while, but then because it's so hard on them physically, by like you know when they're in their you know forties, they can no longer play. Yeah. Just so like they don't have the time to, to put in to where they can hit that like like where they can peak long enough for it to stop being fun. I would guess because they they just destroy themselves. Well, I think it is fun for a lot of people. They like refer to it as flow or something or being in the zone where you just everything that you want to happen just happens without having to be consciously dictating things i think flow is a little different but it is similar in the sense that like you're not active like you described but you're not necessarily optimal Mm -hmm. you're just you're just uh past i guess flowing when i was uh i was in atlanta uh, about three years ago god yeah just a little over three years ago i uh was competing in a magic tournament um for magic the gathering and what it was the biggest win of my of my career um, winning first place at this pro tour, and I trained for a, you know several weeks. I actually took a couple weeks off of work, and I was really really focused on this particular the, like the new cards and the new strategies. And the way I play, I try not to think about my plays. 
I try to train myself as much as possible when I'm going up to a competition to be able to make it so that my body knows how to play. And I save my brain for things that my body doesn't know. Like there's triggers that my body will indicate that this is a spot where my brain should think about something. But I have found I only have so much processing power to begin with. And it is best to think about the things that my body can't do for me. And in the course of this tournament, I played some of the best I've ever played. I, uh, I also got... I, I got quite fortunate. Things broke my way and uh, ended up winning. But throughout the tournament, it was a very, very different kind of fun than the preparation. I typically enjoy the preparation more than the tournaments themselves. The preparation has all this these problems to solve. There's ideas to try. Most things fail. You get excited about the things you're learning and the ways you're growing. You don't want to be doing the learning and the growing in the tournament. You want no. to just be a robot who is executing the task. And... There is a different kind of joy to the flow state that you get to almost of when it works well. You're not always in a flow state, but there's a certain... That perfect execution. When you do it right, it's so hard. It's like you get challenged with a thousand things. And when you can do those thousand things, you can do those 998 of the thousand things right. And you can just feel that you're in the rhythm and you're just doing it. You're getting exactly the right amount of... like You're presented with new problems and you can solve it. And it's exactly the amount of problem that you're prepared to face. You're like maximally pushed. Awesome. That is that's pleasurable in a very different way. I see. I see. I was thinking. I guess I couldn't have it that way in a game like Rock Band because that's just a game. Whereas, whereas something like this where you're competing. Well, you... they're they're all games. It's just even the ones where you're competing with yourself. Yeah. Because it doesn't have to be about taking home eighty thousand dollars. It can all and smashing the opponents. It can also be about um, the realization. I have never been this good at Guitar Hero, and I wasn't even there. It was like I was just in the zone, and I was doing it, and for 45 seconds, I was the alpha go of Guitar Hero. (laughs) My entire life is going to be chasing those 45 seconds again. (laughs) Well, one of the things that you do is you you, you develop new puzzles, new challenges to go on to. It's really tough to keep trying to, like, chase the previous things because the, the highs that were high before... They don't satisfy the same way in the future, you know? This might be worth Googling for anyone who plays Dark Souls, but there's all kinds of videos of people beating, like, Champion Gundir with, like, just throwing dung piles and, like, parrying every move and, like, then doing, like, a 720 spin and doing a gesture. Or I saw a girl beat Pontiff Sullivan. It doesn't... These are just bosses in the game. But beat him blindfolded. Oh, you told me about that. she just... She could hear him make the move, and as long as she thought she was locked on, she could parry and attack. That blew my fucking mind. So that's that's the next step, right? And then I've also seen people play that game with a Guitar Hero guitar. So uh, you you can always up the difficulty for yourself if you're looking for somewhere to go. The the <laughs> amount of of dedication, the the following that Dark Souls has is inspiring. I've never seen anyone beat Pontus Sullivan blindfolded with a Guitar Hero guitar. So there's, <laughs> there's still room. <laughs> Uh, I'm curious your thoughts on uh, tool-assisted speedruns. There's this relatively new phenomenon in gaming where people are challenging themselves. I mean, speedruns have existed in everything of you know since humans have been doing anything. Is how fast can we do it, mm-hmm. right? And uh, the way a speedrun effectively works is you're just doing something ritualistic very very quickly, such as beating Super Mario Brothers or something. How fast can you do it? There's a relatively new ex- uh, new pursuit of some people tool assisted speedruns where when you're playing 
Like they, they use like a, a device that effectively makes it so that when you're playing, you can rewind time. If anything goes wrong, if anything bad happens, you can rewind time to any moment previous. So it's like you keep getting to go back over and over and over and over and over again to try to make the perfect run. Yeah. And if you actually could reset time infinitely, like as often as you like, how fast are you capable of chaining together all of your perfect executions of every element of the game? And it takes on a very, very different texture once you know that you can rewind time as much as you want. My, uh, the thing, I mean, that that's okay and all. One of the uh, really impressive things about unassisted speedruns is the fact that someone had to practice this until it was perfect and any tiny minuscule mistake means they have to go all the way over to the beginning and start over. So just the amount of time that they put into it is really impressive. And so with the tool assisted, I was slightly less impressed, although I could still see some of the artistry behind it. And like some of the stunts you could pull uh, are really impressive. But um, with things that you would never have been able to figure out just without the tool assist. The various ways you can uh, chain leaping off of shells and other things to do just the most crazy shit, which is literally impossible. Not just impossible, but you could not have had the idea to do it if it wasn't for the tool assist. Um, but I, the thing that really uh, I enjoy about tool assist is now people make uh, special levels, like hell mm -hmm. levels, specifically for people who use tool assist that just... Fuck the player. There are things come out of nowhere, in, impossible to see, and the fact that you have the tool assist means you just rewind, and it's almost like a, a real-time puzzle that you're trying to solve as you're going through yeah. it. And that, I think, is pretty impressive. It's fun. New forms. It's yeah, like taking form using the technology in order to find new ways to... New artistic expressions. New puzzles, new challenges, new games. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you look at, like, for instance, some of the biggest games in the world now, like League of Legends and Heroes of the Storm, and these games are uh, a style of game that is derivative to some degree of Dota. And Dota... They're still known as Dota games, aren't they? Uh, there's another game. There's Dota 2. Dota 2 is a game that people are still playing now. But Dota 2, Heroes of the Storm, and uh, League of Legends are all descendants. Uh, you know, basically the three people working on Dota split up into three different... Uh, made three different... Is uh, that literally what happened? Yeah. Oh, neat. And uh, it, it was a whole confusing thing early on of who has the rights to Dota. Because one of the things that was really interesting about Dota is that no game company made it. Yeah. It was just some people. It was Dota a modification. Was a mod for, yeah, Warcraft 3. Right. And so Dota, as a mod for Warcraft 3, turned into a game that eventually spawned three new games that became bigger than Warcraft. Yeah. And it's like, wow, well, it's funny. Counter-Strike was a mod to um, Half-Life. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. The original Counter-Strike was a mod to Half-Life. And that, I mean, to me, that's very interesting because it... it was a whole new game, which eventually became its own game. But the thing with Dota that really I found awesome about it was that it was a mod that created a new genre of game. Oh, yeah. A new type of how to play games on the computer. And that that I don't think I'd seen before it, from from a mod of an existing game anyway. Lots and lots and lots of cool stuff. I think technology is it's very promising. Hopefully, uh, hopefully AlphaGo lets us keep playing games. Yeah, so we're at about the... <laughs> we're, <laughs> We're at about the one hour mark. Do you have any predictions or thoughts as to what AlphaGo's existence and presence uh, means to humanity as a whole, either game playing or more generally? Can I refine that or can I add a sub to that question, which was a year ago we talked about how estimates of AGI went up after AlphaGo 
kicked ass against Lisa Dahl because it beat predictions. In fact, I was I got to reading Superintelligence pretty late to the game. I was reading it a few months ago, and Nick Bostrom was talking about how it seems like maybe by the end of the decade we can have a Go winning, or we can have a Go robot that can beat humans. Yeah. And that happened in 2015. It was, it was not expected to happen until 2020 or later. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, he, he put it tentatively towards the end of the decade. And it wasn't, and so, yeah, it wasn't even until 2016 that AlphaGo was legitimately better than any human. Yeah. I think, uh, well, I think, I don't even think his claim was, you know, like the deep blue of Go. I think it was just like, can be competitive. or can Oh, be, yeah. Can it wasn't awesome. until 2015 that they could even like win against anybody, you know. That's awesome. So, with that in mind, as far as the trajectory for uh, AGI arrival and I guess just I wanted to just put that flavor on Inyash's question. Yeah, I think. I mean, I don't know. I'm on. I, I'm. I'm rooting for Google. I, I'm hoping for uh, for DeepMind. Um, there's a variety of different approaches. There are some people who, you know, I think like Facebook's approach is a little bit more put everybody in the matrix, and that's how they're going to save us from AI. And I think that uh, that really. Yeah, I think uh, Facebook's approach is very much, you know nobody's going to make an AI that kills us all if everybody's in the Matrix. Damn, And uh, maybe the AI will where did, where let us Where did you get that impression? Has Zuckerberg said something to that effect? Look at all of the actions and all of the strategies and all of the different types of mechanisms that that Facebook uses. Um, no. Uh, Zuckerberg has not explicitly stated that. So what, what is but it that Facebook does that makes you think that that is their, the goal they they're move going more and more and more of people they're functioning into a place, into a space, into a vehicle that Facebook controls. Yeah, they but are, that, that could just be regular business pursuing business goals. The more people are forced to use Facebook, the more money they make, and the more time in app, the more app exp- or the more ad exposure. Yeah, yeah. increase revenue. Ah, uh, yeah, all those are real valuable as well. But there's only so many humans on Earth, and uh, the amount of engagement for the humans. Um, okay, let's put it another way. When you uh, use Google, your search history is available to you, and you can search for anything you want. You just type whatever it is you want to know about, and it gives you that information. Facebook's approach is very different. Facebook's approach is wildly obfuscating. It's not built for search. You can't just type into the search bar of Facebook and find... Uh, all of the, like a key word, like you can't get all of the same information searching all of your, you could search for the names of the people you know, and you can search for certain types of things, but you don't have access to an encyclopedic reference of every post every person's made directly in such a searchable fashion. Right. Facebook is shitty is the shorthand that I use. Facebook is also set up to train you. It's set up to have your eyes look at things that are advertisements and not know they're advertisements. It puts things in different places to trick your eyes into taking more of the information and to get you to click on certain links. And it auto-plays things to try to force you to look at them. Right. And it tries to sculpt your behavior. It, Facebook is... Opti- had a fantastic episode about this recently. But, but that's all... I mean, that, to me, that's all like the standard predatory business of... I want all of your attention all the time for all humans because that is that is what I am motivated to seek. Because I can as sell your attention. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I mean, but what's the end game? 
at a certain point, you don't need to sell anything when you have everything. I, I don't think there is an end game. It's it's to me well, that seems like what's to... asking what's the end game of evolution. It's just the end game is give me more of your attention all the time because that's what translates into dollars for them right now. And I don't think they have a ending goal. It's just perverse incentives. So uh, Frank Kusumoto, a guy who made the first magic strategy website many years ago and did a bunch of stuff for the internet, he. Uh, recently introduced me to this concept of the difference between infinite games and finite games. In a finite game, the player's objective is to win the game. They, The way they do this is they take more power until they win the game. They just are seizing power until they win the game, and then the game is over. And that's how a finite game works. And the way that an infinite game works is that you get better at the game so that you can keep playing. Like, if you, for instance, are trying to do some ritualistic speedrun uh, against yourself, you are actually trying to get better so that you get to keep playing, because if you improve your time by one one-hundredth of a second, now you have the next game, which is improve your time again. And uh, the difference between games where the purpose is to keep playing, where you have to keep leveling up, um, versus games where you want to destroy and end the game, uh, I think that it's not clear. I don't think every human is on the same page about wanting the game to keep going. I personally am a big fan of future paths involving everybody leveling up as much as possible so that we can keep playing the game. Because I think it would be interesting to know what's going on on Mars. I think it'd be interesting to know what's going on on Pluto. I think it'd be interesting to go to other galaxies. I think it'd be interesting to travel to other star systems and build other galaxies, or build things, build civilizations and structures. Hell, I might find myself inclined to reverse entropy and preserve the universe rather than heat death. I don't know. I could see what else there is to do. You'll find no challenge to any of those missions from me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a big fan of living for, well, forever, you know, or as close to forever as I can manage and having fun the whole time. And those all sound great to me. So that, that seems like a bit of a digression though. Facebook is still just kind of seeking human attention because that's what as a corporation it is designed to seek based on its business model it doesn't have an end goal it just wants more human attention all the time uh, see, man i don't know maybe you think it does have an end goal i don't well i i'm not totally sure what it is but well, yeah i think that uh i think that that's that's a good point my by it i meant the incentives and power structures that seem to dictate yeah. what actions are taken by that corporation i think that there are a non-zero number of of actors who are that each have their own approach to how to control the future okay and uh people are getting more and more and more powerful it's not just people at the top either i mean if you think about like denver for instance has places there's all kinds of places for homeless people to charge their their cell phones their smartphones oh yeah on street blocks like if you look at you know it's the notion that there are more people on earth with cell phones than people with toilets that is wild that's very weird that's weird but powerful too don't get me wrong it'd be really nice for people to have toilets too but the power that a cell phone has like for instance if you can just type into like and this is for smartphones which is still you know billion something people but if you can just type into a you just type whatever you want to know and 99 percent of the world's knowledge is at your fingertips of like it's like you can do a lot of things if you just 
have the ability to have whatever question if you can think of a question you can get the answer most of the time that's crazy powerful that's crazy powerful i think some of the profundity of that is lost on us because we're used to it and like then we just get bugged down when we're on you know 3g instead of 4g and it takes (laughs) five five whole seconds to get that answer instead of five you know half of a second so no but uh, i but i do that, agree with you that that is an awesome power no I, given I, you kids I today you don't know how good you got it right. no, that's, that's, when that's, i was your age that, that's what i was I saying to go to a library. No, no, i i i maybe i uh conveyed that poorly that's exactly what i was saying that i i to put it another way i feel like uh in 100 or 200 years we're gonna like so we've got this demarcation now of like bc and ad mm-hmm. i sincerely think it's extremely likely that we will look at pre-net and post-net as a as the the next you know uh calendar shifting paradigm you know the way that we think about history because the world has changed so much in the last 30 years and it'll i think i think once those changes sink in at more levels and become even more ubiquitous that that's going to be it's like nothing the world's ever seen before like that's what you're saying too oh yeah yeah Yeah, it's, it's wild yeah yeah but it's also from another perspective, like Louis C.K. says, you know, it's like he gets in an airplane, it's taken off, and and uh, suddenly they say, oh yeah, so we've got wireless internet on the airplane now, and he's like, what? You have the internet on the airplane, you know? And then eventually there's technical malfunctions, you know. The next time he flies, it's like, oh sorry, the internet's not working, and what the what the hell? Come on, man! It's like how quickly you're just entitled to internet on the airplane all the time. You're literally flying through the sky and watching cat videos on YouTube, and you're the second that one of those two things is taken away from you, you're like, "What is this? The Dark Ages?" <laughs> yeah, no, or or worse, it's not even taken away from you. It just takes a second to load, right. and it's like, give it a second. It's going to space. <laughs> so, um, did you have any pr- predictions on what this advance in Deep Mind it means for the future? Well, the biggest thing that we've already seen is that uh, Google has been very sharing with regards to uh, machine learning technology for people who want to have machines learn how to do things. Do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing? Extremely good thing. It seems good from an egalitarian point of view, but on the other hand, it also kind of maybe will speed the apocalypse? Well, maybe. Also kind of maybe might end the world? (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Maybe, but honestly... Maybe it's important. Yeah. The question, though, is... How much is it moving the needle versus how much is it moving the needle the other way? Because I think that the technology is being developed, you know, regardless whether we like it or not. Mm -hmm. And the more of it that is public and open source and available and uh, the more that the group the the majority the 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 everybody rather than somebody in a room is getting the advantage. You know. I wonder if this is a lot like. Like publishing how to make nuclear weapons, right? Like it would have been really cool if no one who didn't know how to make a nuclear weapon could find out how to make a nuclear weapon by just looking it up in a book. That this might be, we might look back, this could go great, but we might look back and be like, man, that sucked. We shouldn't have not have just given that information to anybody who wanted it. They should have at least had to have had the skill to get to that information themselves. On the other hand, based on our episode with Chase, open source software, I really, if it gets to the point where there's a lot of AIs running in the r- around in the world, would want all the AIs that I rely on for anything to be open source. Sure, absolutely. I, I, I do not that. want a corporation to lock my AI behind a box and be fully in control of that, and I have no idea what's going on in there. 
I would like like to, Facebook, like we were talking about earlier. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, we, we don't uh, like it to be open now, to the community so they can audit it, and we don't have access to like the algorithms that it uses to show us uh, what campaign ads we were seeing last year, that sort of thing. Yeah. So if fact, Google is really I think an open, important way Facebook doesn't have access to see what Facebook is doing because it doesn't know what its own machine learning uh, algorithms are showing. Or alternatively, Mark Zuckerberg is going to run for president in the next eight years. I'd vote for Mark Zuckerberg. I mean, I would vote for literally any American right now. <laughs> I'm saying in eight years, though. You don't know who will be running in eight years. But what's interesting is if Mark Zuckerberg optimizes whatever positions in order to be maximally effective for being able to, I mean, yeah, pretty interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see. I happen to be a much, much bigger fan of the open source approach that Google has of let's elevate everybody. Let's try to work together. Let's, you know... Facebook's approach is, you know, you can't trust humans. We'll keep you safe. Everybody get in the box. Okay. You know, like, obviously, some people want to keep the AI in the box. Mm. And Facebook wants to keep everybody in the everybody else in the box. It's very safe in that box. As long as Facebook is looking out for us. Yeah, I see what you got as your complaint there. Oh, that's not even a complaint. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm betting on the wrong team. It's kind of <laughs> tough at this point because I think already Facebook and Google know. So... The- the line's already drawn. I don't think it'll matter too much, though. You think there's a third actor? It's just going to be Facebook Oh, yeah. No, no, no. There's plenty. There's plenty. Like, for instance, I don't know how realistic it is. It might also be just kind of transitioning people and easing people into the idea of certain types of transhumanism. But, like, Elon Musk's, uh, you know, like, neural net type of, you know, like, being able to stick a wire in your brain and get the updates yourself. That I think that the version that is being described right now, a little fantastical, but also that's the way most brilliant new technology works. I think that there's a certain normalizing and easing people into the idea of humans and uh, AI fusing. I'm looking forward to it. I just want a car that drives itself. I mean, that is step <laughs> one, yeah. But I'm looking forward to being... We were just talking last week about being able to upload our consciousness and not being stuck with this body that's eventually going to decay yeah, in a scary, dangerous universe. Yeah, yeah it'd be nice to th- I, at the very like whichever whichever is easier, like making the universe less hostile mm-hmm. and punish and so pun- so punitive, or making a, a new universe that's that's nicer. Whichever we can do first, I'm totally on board with. So I'm just wondering if this is a, if we're currently doing a tool assisted speed run of life. God, I sure hope not. Wait, wait, wait. What do you mean currently doing a tool assisted speed run of life? Like, like, we are in a simulation, and if they my just life is bringing... someone's best effort, that no, 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 maybe no, no, it's like no, society in general. Yet. We're not done yet. No, no, not even just society in general, like us. Like, maybe you're going through your life. Maybe you've already gone li- through life some number of times already. Maybe rather than at the point where you know you've fucked up, you go backwards. Maybe instead what you do is you don't know for sure because life's very complicated and confusing, and it's not always clear what are the cause and effect because you watch a tool assisted speed run it involves strategies that are very bizarre and weird they look they look crazy they look crazy to the eye but in retrospect when you see the beauty of the design and you look back and you're like oh my god how was everything in the exact perfect place for me to learn all the right lessons grow all the right ways everything worked out all this crazy stuff happened that's really weird it's almost as if I kept going back in time to the spot in order to perfect, get the exact perfect path. I feel like if I could get myself to somehow understand exactly what that would be like or to believe that, I didn't know what it was like to be like really religious. <laughs> no, I mean that, like, because that's yeah. whole, like God made this whole plan for you, right? Right. I'm not saying uh, this current run right now is going to be your best effort. No, sure. But it would mean that you are the only real person in the universe because... No, 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 no. Why? 
Because you are the one who has control over when everyone gets rewound. In what do you mean control? In, 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 in what does tool, it mean to in, have control? In tool, in tool uh, what if everything is in perfect harmony, like a tool-assisted speedrun? <laughs> but in tool-assisted speedruns, the levels don't get harder the better you get. They just—they're designed already. Well, to I mean, really do. Them. the tool in the tool-assisted speedrun, you have an object that you are tracking, like Mario, for example. It, the universe is all about Mario. So, it, it, what is your object of of evaluation? It, it, if it's not one individual person, is it like all of society together being speedrun? No, no, no. Okay, let, let's say for instance that, uh, and I don't know. This is keep in mind. We're all talk, we're talking about some impossible things that are highly unlikely. <laughs> but like, what's to say that we couldn't? already have like why can't there be uh, a very large number of people that are each executing a run or like for instance if the universe if the multiverse is just very 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 large there's many 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 variations what's to say there isn't uh everybody's perfect run or a perfect harmonization between each person's run Again, if they were separate then i would feel like the person who was the object of that run would be the only real person object. but what does it mean to be real Exactly. Dude, plus, <laughs> honestly... This, this is the kind of thing I often do not like talking about, oh, okay. because well, then apologize. I'm like, well, no one else around me is real, and that's a problem know, man. for me. I don't know, man. I think there's a difference between other people not being real versus us all be connected. Like, to me, I think the... Like, to me, I, I don't know what's true or not. I've, I'm the last person to know, but I, I operate as though it's true that, that you guys are different people than me, but that we are connected, that we are all one, and that the universe is... To some degree, there's some very larger connection between all of us, and so is there like a, a relationship a between utility that, like, that mashes all the different speedruns together into one harmonized. Thing? I don't know anything about the speedrun thing. Okay, that was okay. merely positing that I wonder. It occurred to me just now how much it sure is convenient the way certain things work out. I always just sort of assumed that that it was a combination of selection effect, you know, of just me being a human looking for pattern versus. Uh, some amount of maybe there is a pattern, maybe there's some design, right? And it's it's confusing, and maybe that's where a certain amount of the the personal choice comes in of how much to you do you think there is a pattern versus are you just looking for a pattern in the chaos because that's what humans do, maybe. Mm -hmm. But there's another option which is maybe it starts out extremely chaotic, like a uh, machine learning, like the the plays that AlphaGo would make before it's very good, mm -hmm. and maybe it just learns over time. It plays over and over and over again, simulating games. Like a speed run. On that note, I think we're out of time. <laughs> okay. Uh, thank you guys for having me. No, this was awesome. It thank was you. a lot of fun. Thanks for coming. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you all again in two weeks. Bye. 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 <laughs>